Hi Andy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Gareth. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. What are we what are we covering in today's show? Uh, in today's show, we're going to be covering uh, Tour Talk because obviously we've seen the close out of the 2020 season uh, on the European Tour. Uh, little touch on the US Open ladies so they can close their season out. Of course, that's delayed because of weather. Um, and we've got uh, some equipment. We've got Edison wedges, um, new breakout, first person in the UK to test them. Wow, what a privilege, what an honour. Um, more to follow. And, uh, you know, freedom of equipment in the golf bag, something that potentially is going to shape the golf bags for 2021. So looking forward to, uh, to getting started. Let's go. Shall we, shall we get going? Do you, want to press, do you want to press the intro button? Absolutely. Let's do it. <laughs> Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and we're here today to talk about the end of the European Tour golf season, which seems like a long season, but it, it's partly just because it's disrupted, because it's a long season ordinarily anyway, mm. uh, in about three weeks time they'll be back at it again. Um, and of course the ladies US Open, um, which is disrupted, so there's not a lot to talk about that. And we're going to give ourselves a little bit of a chance to talk about equipment, what's in the bag, etc. And, uh, you know, stuff that I've been trying, stuff that you might want to have a little look out for. So uh, I'm here with my trusty wingman, Gareth. Uh, good to see you, mate. I trust you've had a great weekend. There's been a lot going on. Yeah. Um, have you watched any of it? So, yeah, so with the golf, I thought it was a nice finale to the European Tour season. I think anything that ends in the sunshine and the way it did, that there was four guys in the race at the end of it. Um, Patrick Reed, nice little chip in at the end. I just wanted to touch on that, Andy. What, what, what are your thoughts on Reed's short game? Because it seems to me be, to be electric. Looks like he's going to chip in anywhere. His putting's hot. What do you like yeah. about it? I, there's a lot I like about it, to be honest with you. I think he's very creative and very feel-oriented player anyway. He's worked extremely hard um, in the last season or so with a new coach, um, you know, sort of shaping the golf ball a little bit more left to right. He's trying to get more playability into his game. We know a lot of players have tried that in the past and mm -hmm. failed miserably, Um you know, it's it's a very brave decision to make, you know, primarily because uh, you end up with a double miss. And, you know, it's sometimes better to have just one. You know, you're going to have a miss. So, you know, at some point there's going to be an errant shot. So the last thing you want is a left-sided miss if you're playing down the left-hand side. Um, you know, left left is just going to kill you. So you know, it's a very brave thing to do. I think players who generally try to draw the golf ball, or sorry, generally draw the golf ball, not try, but draw the golf ball, um, have a better um, stock of of making the change to left to right. I think the left to right golfer struggles to control the draw. Um, and that's probably a very general sweeping statement. And if there were any stats on this, we'd go, it's pretty 50-50. But I just think the players generally, it's a lot easier 
to control the loss of you know to the right mm. you know whilst trying to learn to move maneuver the golf ball left to right um it, you know and i think the reason why making the switch from right to left flight to left to right is the control mm. so you know as a player and then well i'll throw a caveat into that as a player gets older he struggles with turning a little bit more so you know then you know turning is you know very constitutional towards holding off the hook so you know you've got to at some point learn to control it otherwise you lose your game so you know we've seen Dustin Johnson obviously go from right to left to you know being able to hit this control fade um you know strong grip strong position at the top of the swing you know David Duval comes to mind Paul Azinger comes to mind you know, guys who have strong grips, holding everything off to make sure that they can hit the fade or not hit it left. Um, you know, so Patrick Reed moving the golf ball, you know, left to right will then ultimately improve his short game because the relationship of club face to path to produce the fade will ultimately improve his short game. So, you know, it is one of those things that um, it is almost a byproduct of improving your ball flight actually that's not fair um a left to right is not an improvement it is a new skill but it, you do have some control you'll lack something there's there's a trade-off mm. you know the, the run out the roll the carry you know maybe a little bit less on the uh, on that but patrick does hit the golf ball a decent enough distance so he can afford to trade the little run out uh, and i'm sure he can still get the golf ball smoking off the tee because you know, he, he, he can move it out there. So if he needs to hit one a little bit slinging right to left to get another 20 yards a roll, I'm sure he can still do that. But uh, I, I think from my experience is when you sort of take the left-hand side of the course out of play, what tends to happen at that point then is you um, you, you just bail out the, at the hook. You just do not want to play anything right to left. It's um, Unless, of course, you get a good driver in the bag and, you know, it allows you to do so without, you know, any major consequences. So I think he yeah. plays with the driver less than the one model down from yours, Andy. I think I think he's got the G4. Well, he did. Um, you know, yeah, he was using the ping, and uh, he's now switched to the Titleist TSI three. Um, and uh, as a lot of players tend to be doing that, so you know, that's there's a lot of um, traction in that driver uh and we'll come back to that because i think it's a really important thing you know that uh we can air um about the freedom of the bag these days and more and more players seem to be doing it and um i think we'll see more and more of it going forward uh i think it'll be uh there's a lot of good reasons why that's happening and um and some of that's the sign of the times that we're in um and, you know, I, I like it. I like the fact that that potentially could be the case. But I think, you know, let's get back to the DP world and the European Tour race to Dubai. Um, a fantastic event, um, as is always. I mean, you know, Dubai hosts events really, really well. The golf courses are spectacular. Um, last week, of course, we didn't touch on it, the the, um, the fire course. Mm-hmm. Um and you know now the earth course i mean that you know the two courses there at um uh Jumeirah, i just they are spectacular they are fantastic i've been very fortunate to be able to get onto them 
um, albeit I couldn't play the earth course because it was preparing for the tournament. I was there just a few days before the DP last year, but um, was hosted very nicely, um, you know, on the fire course and uh, what a terrific golf course. And it's good to see how some of the guys were struggling with it because it is a brute. It's a um, Greg Norman design. They typically are tough. They're designed to beat the better player up. Um, and of course, you know, in true, you know, Andy Gorman fashion, you might as well play off the black tee, you know, <laughs> you only get a chance, might only get a chance to do it once. If I went there again, I probably wouldn't play all of them off the black tee. Um, it's pretty brutal, but it's as you would expect. And, you know, they are fabulous golf courses, conditions, practice facilities. I mean, it's just spectacular. Um, you know, maybe not quite as spectacular as Leopard Creek. Um, you know, I was just four in, in South Africa last uh, two weeks ago, but yeah, there's uh, there's some the, the just the whole facility, everything about it, you know, I mean, it's just right, and of course, it's what you can do when you got the money. So, you know, he's, you're not going to put a third rate facility together when you've got all the money that you can throw at it to make it perfect from the start. So, you know, as, as with anything, you make adjustments you make changes you improve as you go but um yeah if you can get it pretty much right to start with then you will so yeah. it's a but a spectacular event you know par five to finish always can throw in the mix of oh, what will happen here is it going to be an eagle we've seen eagles in the past you know the three wood that stenson hit in there two three woods at the last there to you know to about 18 inches if I remember rightly for an eagle to win and close out spectacularly and of course this year matt fitzpatrick uh, to win the tournament and Lee Westwood to bring up the rear really nicely to end up winning the race to Dubai in spectacular fashion. You know, I mean, he started the season really well with a win in Abu Dhabi. So, of course, he likes the area and who doesn't? Um, I tell you what, if you don't like Dubai and the Emirates and, the, you know, all around uh, Abu Dhabi to go and play golf, you know, in perfect conditions, um, poor show really yeah. um but yeah you know the old stalwart you know european tours talisman uh lee westwood you know winning you know what's he won 25 events now three order of merits and it's spectacular you know and it's um you know testament to the to the fact that he is grinding he's he's desperate to get that maiden major championship um you know of course he fared well at uh, Augusta but you know maybe the course was just playing a little bit too long for him mm. you know it's going to play long for most people to be fair so it's nothing to do with you know at least long enough and solid enough but you know maybe maybe you know we get the opportunity to see that happen again in um, you know in April um, or could he do it at St George's and there is going to be a great I, I was just going to say I think you know I mean look there's, there's a lot there it, 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 there's there's a feel-good factor. If St George's suits his eye, I don't know that it does or doesn't. But of course, his good mucker Darren Clark won down there the last time it was there. So there's some good vibes there. And of course, that's his maiden. You know, was his maiden and only major victory. So maybe there's just a little bit of something in there. And of course, if he can keep this kind of form going, you know, he's rolling the ball well, which is good to see. And if he can, you know, continue to hit it as well as he always has done off the tee and his iron shots. You know, then maybe St Andrew. Uh, sorry, um, St George's is the uh, is the place for him to get it done. But mm. um, 
yeah, we'll have to wait until July. What course. do you think of the What do you think of the format in in terms of the comparison as well to like the FedEx Cup? So how do you like the kind of almost like two tournaments in one, isn't it? Really, it's the the kind of main DP and then it's the Tour Championship or the Order of Merit. How does it compare? Do you think to the FedEx Cup and, and, and what do you like and dislike about? It? I mean, I prefer it to the FedEx Cup in the way that you know it does seem to culminate. I mean, yeah, okay, we get down to the last sixty players. I think is is mm. is there at the end of the. Uh, at the beginning of the week and the fact that obviously there's a few of those will be sort of tussling at the end of it, it didn't really happen this year which you know the winners and losers it always tends to be it didn't really happen I think that's just testament to the fact that you know we've had that year with disruption and the monies didn't change you know the, the purses went down you know significantly through the summer because of it but you know we look we I think for everybody concerned, the fact that we had tournaments and that guys were prepared, who wouldn't be prepared to play? You've had it all taken. It's like having your arms chopped off, isn't it? And then somebody mm. says, hey, oh, there's a new set of arms. You can go and play with those. It, it, it's a literally like that. It's, you know, so it's a lifeline to your to your lifestyle. You know, you're going to want to do that. So, you know, as in the past, you may well have found some of the guys playing for that sort of money, you know. Because you know some of the events, a little bit more than challenge tour money, but you know, satellite money earnings to some mm -hmm. to some kind of degree. I know it's ridiculous because most of us have, you know, <laughs> struggled to earn that in about five years. Some of these winnings, but um, you, you know, yeah, it's great to to see the whole thing come together in a way that um, you know culminated with the same degree of tension and you know excitement and. Um, and I think, you know, hats off to the European Tour for really for getting it done. Race to Dubai for me is a season long event. Mm -hmm. And rather than, you know, in effect, what can pivot over four rounds, oh, sorry, four tournaments like uh, FedEx, because, yeah, you've got to be in the right place at the right time with FedEx. But, you know, you can go from zero to hero in four weeks, as we've seen in the past. And <clears throat> struggle to, you know, I mean, that's not going to happen in, um, in a race to Dubai. You know, if you're at the front, you're at the front, you know, it's, mm. it, but it means that it's season long. And uh, I guess this year is probably not as, um, so because of the disruption, because of the monies that were there in the early, you know, desert swing tournaments are well, well paid, you know, events. We didn't have the depth of a purse with the Rolex events that we've had, you know, in previous years and, you know, probably rightly so. And, you know, so there were, um, you know, the, a lower earnings scenario, but, you know, it's relative anyway, um, you know, the guys on tour are, are, are doing pretty well. Um, if you if you're playing well, you're doing well. You know, yeah. and um, you know you've got to play well. You're going to make a living at sport. You've got to play well. You've got to perform well. Um, you know, so that I, nothing against anybody picking up ten million dollars. You know, if, <laughs> if that's what their their game allows them to do. You know, the opportunities are there at the end of the day. You know, and, and you know it is entertainment, but it's you know, the, the guys do work really hard for you. Don't fluke it. Nobody flukes it. Only oftentimes takes, you know, a lifetime of hard work to get to that point. And there's only a few people, you know, in the last 10 years, there's only been 10 people have won the FedEx um, championship. So, you know, that's that's where you, you know, you have to look at it. It doesn't, it doesn't come to you. You've got to work 
very hard at it. And yes, you know, very different kind of work to somebody who's, you know, holding a scalpel and saving a life, um, you know, to, you know, or, or looking after social media accounts. Or yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a very different lifestyle, but, you know, it, at the end of the day, I don't begrudge anybody in sport, you know, maybe apart from a few footballers who kick a bag of wind around and, you know, for a course of a million pound a week, whether they play or not. I mean, mm -hmm. I struggle with that. I struggle with the lack of performance. You know, you've got to go out there and earn it like the tennis player does, like the, yeah. you know, the golfer does. But if you're getting paid for, for not not playing, I, I struggle sure, with that. Isn't it? I'm with you. I'm actually with you on that one. What are your thoughts yeah. on, on kind of Fitzpatrick's game and in particular his short game? What do you like about it? I think, I mean, he had an egg on his face, didn't he, six weeks ago? Mm. talking about how we can't compete against, you know, this bombing game that, you know, sort of, it almost as if he was like <laughs> throwing his toys out the pram a bit and then he comes out and wins. You know, that's not a, not an easy golf course and there are definite advantages to being able to hit the golf ball a long way because then you've, you're left with shorter clubs into the greens. But, um, you know, Matt's got a game that you, you've got to maximise everything that you've got. And I think, you know, it shows you that he's, I don't know. I have no idea whatsoever um, because we're all detached from, from the tour. Even the guys on the tour are detached from it a bit more this year. But I've got no reason to believe or, or, or to discredit the fact that somebody's pulled him to one side, had a word in his ear and gone, get a grip on yourself. Mm. You know, you've got another 10 or 15 years of career, 20 if you, you know, grinding it out. You could, one, make a really good fortune for yourself, but also through the fortune, make a really good name for yourself. Mm -hmm. Look at Zach Johnson's ground two major championships out of a 275-yard drive. And that sounds like a long way, but it isn't not in comparison to the tours, you know, players that are out there, you know, when the average is 290, that's a club and a half behind. And then another club and a half behind going into the greens. So you're two and a half, three clubs behind by the time you, you know, hit your approach shot. So if a guy's out there hitting it 15 past you, he's going to hit it 15 past you again with his irons. So, yeah. you know, you're going in with five iron, he's going in with eight iron, he's towering it over the short front pin and you've got, you've got a draw to a front right pin, he can go in with a, an eight iron soft cut and you're going in with a draw over a pin that's not you're going to be lucky if you can hold it on the green, especially as they firm up in the majors. Mm. And yet he's managed it. You know, two majors, he's got one of the most significant, you know, sort of tournament CVs. I think if I remember rightly, he's at 14 wins, two majors. Um, you know, there's not many guys, uh, you know, in, in the at any point in their career, but, you know, in the 40s that have got that many wins. So, you know, very significant, um, you, you know, by grinding it out, just accepting mm. what you've got and getting the best from it and putting your wedge game to play. Now, that's what you've got to do. If your weakness is distance and your strength is wedges, go and practice your strengths. Yeah. Because short of getting in the gym... Bulking up to a point where you can gain more speed, and I'm not saying bulking up as in put another 40 pounds on because there's different ways of doing it, different body frames are going to do it. Mm -hmm. Matt's not going to look one, he's not going to look good, and he's not going to move good if you put 40 pounds on. 
It's smaller than so, Andy. He's about five, got, six, yeah. seventy, about five, eight. Yeah, he's not. He's not a big fellow at all. And you know, so. You know, work with what you've got. You know, Zach Johnson's the same. You know, I think Zach's five nine, and you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to say about 165 pounds. So you know, 11 stone ish, um, and gets every ounce out of his out of his skill. You know, and that's all Matt's got to do. You know, mm-hmm. he's keep getting every ounce out of his skill. You're not going. There's going to be some tournaments you just know you're not going to be able to compete because, but that doesn't mean you can't go and bank another fifty thousand euros and you know put another notch on the post of getting yourself into another mm. race to Dubai, which gives you an opportunity to then go and put another mill or two into the account because you've put yourself in a position to be able to do it. Is he going to be able to compete at Augusta? Probably not. But could he compete at, you know, at the Masters? At, at, sorry, at, um, at the Open because he can get it low and running? Yeah. So, you know, but then saying that, you know, look, Zach Johnson won a Masters and he won a Masters in boggy conditions, you know, cold, wet, damp conditions, um, almost similar to what, you know, was being played in, uh, albeit they did play a little bit warmer. He played with the highest winning score in recent record, um, certainly in the last 20 or so years, and he didn't hit a single par five in two. Mm. Now, the reason why he won is because he dialed in I want to say something like 11 out of 16 of the par fives, you know, that he played for the week in birdie and he did it with his wedges. So irrespective, you know, if you can do that and birdie half of the par fives with your wedges, then you're going to give yourself a fighting chance. Of course, Mm -hmm. if the tournament runs away like it did this year, then you're not going to give yourself half a chance. You've got to be better than that. But, you know, it just means the conditions elsewhere on the course are also much better as well. So yeah, just got to find a way. Um, Gary Player wasn't the longest player when he got out there, didn't stop him winning seven majors, you know, and all of those things, you just got to keep looking at it and going like, right, okay. It's, he, he learned how to hit it a lot mm-hmm. further. So there's ways to do it. Um, but all the time it comes back to wedges, wedges, wedges. Yeah. If you get that good with those, you don't have to worry about it. You know, mm-hmm. And that's, you know, look, as, as good as Tiger was, he didn't win every week. As good as Dustin is, he's not winning every week. So you just, you know, if you get half a dozen chances a year to win, then, you know, you're giving yourself a fighting chance, you know, to be in the right place at the end of the year. And he's going to make a very good career out of it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, don't know I can't remember, can't recall how many wins he's had now, but, you know, three or four, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, that's already, a, you know, starting to get to be a very decent career. You know, not short of the few bucks that he's put in his bank account either. Yeah. I've got a trivia question for you. What mm. have Matt Fitzpatrick and Zach Johnson got in common? <laughs> well, apart from a really good short game. Think about the short stick. Think about the flat stick. What has happened with their flat sticks over the, the past few months and years? What have their manufacturers done? They built something specifically for them. Bingo. Off the copy of their previous putter. So Matt Fitzpatrick, has he, has he now moved to, to a Betanardi putter? He has putter? moved to Betanardi. Um, what did he have before? He was using a Yes putter, um, which of course with the Seagroove design was designed by Harold Swash. Um quite a long time ago now but um there's a product that he's had in the bag for 12 years but he's put um 
he's obviously had a nice little negotiation taking place and Bettinardi's acquired the rights to be able to reproduce the seed groove onto a putter and subsequently you know with a few changes in his bag over the season certainly uh, he has a replica Tracy 2 putter in the bag and uh, you know the putters do get battered beaten you know but, and it doesn't matter how well you do things and how well you look after them you know, after 12 years, a putter's going to be a little bit worn out. And especially with the sea groove, we've seen the wear spot on Tiger's putter. That's a flat, milled face putter. Um, when you've got literally like razor type blade edges striking the ball, they're much more, um, you know, sort of reluctant to stay in their original form than the flat surface. So if you're hitting the sweet spot the way that, you know, Matt does, and you're going to wear it out. So he was in need of a new putter. Um, you know, sort of, I would have said probably three or four seasons ago. Just not going to last. I mean, I can remember I've got I've got a couple of um, C group putters from my playing their back playing days, and you know that they they don't last. You know, mm. I mean, they don't because they can't. You know, it's, it is literally as simple as that. They, you know, they're just a sharp piece of blade. You know, very much like a, a razor blade point quite that sharp although I did shave the side of my face with one particular edition the first one I was able to chop a few bits out and leave a bit of a rough spot um but you know yeah they they were um they were really good putter they were really really good and that's super feel and it it was that putter that switched me to to um grew face putters Mm. you know Harold knew a thing or two about you know what a ball felt like coming off a uh, less metal, and you know, and how to configure a, a shape on the face that produced a more effective um, roll on the ball and and feel, and um, you know, yeah, they got to, he, he got the job done very nicely. So you know, and obviously Matt knew for many many years how good that putter was and liked the feel of it from his junior days, and you know. That was it. He's been in the bag ever since. So until he found a replacement that was going to be as good or better, you know, and I used to say that it's not better, but should perform better because it's it's 100 percent. It's milled pure and smooth and, you know, with those grooves in the right place with no dents or, you know, any sort of rough spots or flat spots. It's going to um, it's going to perform more significantly. So, yeah, so I've got no reason to see why, you know, he wouldn't improve his putting stats on the back of that. Mm. And yeah. it was really interesting. I think you touched on it before about it's pretty much five. I think, uh, oh, sorry, three of the five players who were in the race for Dubai, um, the kind of end of year championship, have got like a free bag, so they've got no attachment in terms of mm. manufacturers. What? How has that been a game changer, especially over the last eighteen months? Well, I think over the last few years, I mean, you know, probably the most significant one would have been Brooks. Kepco and you know a lot of it changed when Nike went um you know sort of closed the door on its operation and said right that's it we're you know we're not making clubs anymore of course and so many players just went whoa hold on a minute um well now what do we do so you know and and I think an awful lot of those players were in a position where they could turn and say I don't need the money um 
And of course, then, you know, comes the opportunity to try different equipment out. You know, Brooks and uh, Tommy Fleetwood both went from Nike to putting um, Mizuno uh, in the bag. And uh, Paul Casey did the same, which stands, you know, really good testimony for the quality of the product because, you know, by making uh, a, a non-financial choice, um, you know, to, to play what they wanted to play, they chose to play with Mizuno irons. Um, mm. Interestingly, none of them chose to play with Mizuno wedges. Mm. So, you know, kind of what's going on there. Um, I've got to be honest with you, I think the new ones are really nice. Um, and, but again, I think, you know, Mizuno wedges, there's always a product in the bag that's a little bit sort of marmite, you know, you either love it or you hate it. And, mm. you know, it's... Um, you know, it is literally one of those types of, of, of products. And I used to like some of their, uh, their Black Ox wedges. Oh, yeah, nice. Around about yeah, 20 yeah, years ago, them. they were they were awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's a nice, small, compact head. They can, you know, grooves to shred a golf ball with, you know, <laughs> as we did, uh, did back then. And they kind of lost their way, I think, in shape and, you know, playability, performance. They've got every wedge, bounce, grind, you know, loft, everything going on in that, uh, in their makeup. So, you know, I saw some last week where one of my clients came in, you know, we're looking at short game and just going through the bag and checking everything out. And, you know, and and they, yeah, they look, they look nice. Um, when it comes to it, wedges, you know, is you've got to put in the bag something that's going to work. Um mm-hmm. I think to some degree, you know, the best players in the world will find an iron they like the look of and can work the golf ball through the bag, you know, doing what they want to do with it. Um, you know, and that's why you see, you know, I come back to Matt Fitzpatrick, he's had a set of S55 irons, which I'm trying to think when they came out, you know, I mean, that's, that's a long years, time ago. It's got to be 10 years uh, yeah. with some I-25s in the long end of the bag, if I can recall correctly. So, you know, he got playability and forgiveness in there from Ping and, you know, he's playing uh, I-210s, um, you know, so I know why he's made that choice because you know, they are really good. It's the main man um, playing them, that's why. <laughs> yeah, they're good enough for Andy Gorman. Um, you know, good enough for Matt Spitzpatrick and Lee Westwood and a few others. Uh, you know, I think... You see now, I mean, Garcia's in with a set of clubs, you know, there's another one. Um, you know, I think Patrick Reed's obviously got his... Justin Rose as well, isn't it? Justin Rose, Rose yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it's going to come down, it's going to be, you know, there's a political statement for you, but with the com- current climate that we're all in now, the golf industry is going to turn around and say, the golf manufacturer can turn around and say, you know what, I can't afford to pay you. Now, to some degree, that's a very dangerous game to play. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, they genuinely can't afford to pay, then that's where they're going to be. You know, and I think you'll find that some of the manufacturers that the players are going to now, as they're given their choice, are going to really step up to the plate. I've noticed an awful lot of ping bags out there. You know, now, is it because nobody else wants the player? And, you know, I can't say that, not over, not not with Ping. And I do know Ping are not paying the money. They never have paid the big money. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of players have gone from Ping because they've, not, they've got better contract offers elsewhere. Not recently necessarily, but, you know, it's happened. So, you know, I think Ping pay fair. 
and you know they've obviously got what you know we call icon players these days you know the, mm. the talismans you know Bubba, um, Watson and, and of course then Lee Westwood this side you would say um, would be the icon players of, of the European and PGA Tour Bubba just signing a lifelong contract that's crazy you know, that's mad that isn't it that's crazy you know and I think that would also I think that you know, would be a nice honour bestowed upon Lee, whether or not mm. that would happen. You know, he's always played ping from junior right the way through. And, you know, the stalwart of, of technology that, that has been 10, 12 years in, you know, in the bag. I mean, he played Zing 2s forever, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Until I-10s came out and then, you know, he could saw the benefit of that. Um, but he's not a guy that's going to switch and swap and do crazy things anyway so you know when it comes down to it i think you've got you've got players making informed choices on things that they like the look of mm -hmm. and like the feel of and they're probably because they've earned as much money as they have in the past their bank accounts are now full enough that you know they can afford to not take mm -hmm. somewhere between 50 and a quarter of a million you know payout whether that's per annum or per contract um, the guys who are down further down the bag, you know, further down the tour rankings in and around the hundred going up, you know, probably will have to take the club, mm, yeah. you know, contract that will become slimmer on the ground. Um, and, you know, who, who knows the equipment in the bag now may be less of an issue than the bag itself. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, or, or, you know, somebody, the bag becomes the poster boy, doesn't it? You know, at the end of the day, it yeah. becomes the billboard. So um, I think that, you know, you'll find a lot more um, open bags, you know, not necessarily branded bags, um, you know, golf branded bags. Mm -hmm. And you'll see like, you know, the, the speeds of this world and Tiger and, you know, I mean, Tiger's never as far as I can remember, had a bag. I mean, he had Buick for years. And, Buick, did you? Yeah, and he didn't have a Nike bag, did he? So yeah. he had Buick right the way through. And then subsequently from there, he's got some crappy, shitty drink company. Um, yeah, I've said it. Um, sugary drinks, they're not not—they're not worth anybody's endorsement, to be perfectly honest with you. So, um, so I think, you know, when we've got a, you know, when we're looking at these... Um, opportunities to brand you know then the bag probably is the biggest opportunity because that's what's seen and then of course the shirt you know what's the what is that left chest logo worth um you know and we know that it, it's worth good money and you know on certain players tiger's never had anything else on his shirt other than the swoosh so no. you, mm. you know um and again, you know, I've got no problem with that. If they turn around and say, right, we're having that. It's plain. That's all you're going to have on there. That's you either can have the TW on the back and the swoosh on the front or the TW on the front and the swoosh on the bow, wherever it happens to be. Mm. It's that and nothing else. All your other brands, they can go and do one. They can, can't even have your cap right. Um, all, your, all your attire is going to be that. I mean, that's fine. You know, yeah. it's worth the power of the negotiation, isn't it, at the end of the day? So. You know, and, and I think you're going to see the changing face of golf going forward will be, you know, how we market players. You'll mm -hmm. see the polters of this world, you know, with badges on every part of his body that can yeah. be viewed. And, <laughs> you know, and again, I've got no problem with that. You know, we've talked about this, obviously, you know, I mean, I've had a few brands, you know, my clothing in the past and, you know, 
whether you have or you whether you do or you don't again i've got no problem um we are into golf for time to do it gorman.com please drop us a line if you want to find a space on andy's shirt <laughs> yeah there's always space available again for the right product um you know because i have you know i've got my ethical stance on stuff mm -hmm. you know i've been approached in the past and you know said no so you know there, there are things that i won't endorse um you know and I just can't, you know, it's just, it goes beyond my ethical stance. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 it has to be the right fit and that's, yeah. that's all. And with all these players, you know, it has to be the right fit for them. So, mm -hmm. you know, but no issues. Tiger, that's what Tiger wants to endorse, you know, on his golf bag. That's absolutely fine by me. You know, as far as Tiger's concerned, you know, it's not, I know what, you know, where I stand on it. Um, I've said it, you know, you know where I stand on it, but the, ultimately I'm not, um, I'm not going to endorse a sugary drink for, you know, for any, any good reason. There is no good reason to endorse a sugary drink. Simple as that. You can't drink, you know, I, I, we were laughing at an advert the other night with um, Guinness clear. I mm. thought it was drink responsibly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just thought it was fantastic. So, uh, you know, bit of Guinness clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Talking about bags, you've got a new addition to the bag. I know this has been tested and tested and tested and, you kind of, mm. you you you're quite happy with the results. Would I would I be kind of not not as shy to say that that's the, the kind of fact? Um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've done some fairly as rigorous testing as you can at this time of the year mm -hmm. on really horrible surfaces, really, because it's very wet. Um, yeah, there's a new set of wedges in the bag, um, still under test. Still with my tried and trusted um, shaft and grip options in there. So um, what have you got in them, Andy? What have you got in the shaft? I and have grip? got the the grip. The grips are you know Lampkin TS ones, which mm -hmm. uh, you know I continue to use those. Um, do like I love the feel of it. I think it's um, and the colorway works well with the black and red label that's on the shaft, which is of course KBS. So I've got the six tens uh, in the wedges. Beautiful. Uh, providing a really strong uh, flight on the shot. Perfect all year round. It's, it's a shaft that I have tested in the past and have used quite extensively in the past. I do switch between that and S-Taper. Mm -hmm. um, S-Taper has a slightly softer feel to it. Not so much in terms of, um, you know, flex, but uh, it, I mean, S taper has got the, sw the swing profile of the C taper with a little bit more feel, mm -hmm. um, and I think it makes a really good, um, you know, sort of wedge shaft. But I wanted to try six tens uh, in the new Edison wedges, mm -hmm. um, and just to see how they performed for no particular reason. You know, it was just a case of you know I was looking for uh, it's a shaft that I can rely on as well as the S-Taper, um, but it was something I was looking to, you know, I like to keep the flight on my wedges down. I think it's a shaft that is designed to do that, the work that um, Kim Braley's done, you know, over, uh, on that particular shaft, um, takes the spin out of it, um, knowing that there was enough spin according to the marketing blurb and to the conversations that we'd had with Terry Kohler from Edison, who's designed the, uh, the wedges um you know i've been 
very fortunate to be the first person in the UK to test them. And, um, you know, so far, I have to say that in testing with GC Quad, we have some incredibly powerful numbers coming out of them. So one of the biggest challenges in wedge shots is controlling the flight of the shot when you miss the sweet spot because the sweet spots aren't very big. And, you know, Terry can say this better, but if we had him on here, then we'd need a week of podcasting to be able to, um, editing would Especially be on forever. Especially you pair, you pair wax for the in Yeah, we can. Um, we both got a passion for wedges, that's for sure. But um, I think even Terry can push my passion to another level. But, um, you know, he's got 40 plus years of experience, you know, in, in designing wedges. So what he's done is he's raised the bar in terms of the sweet spot he's lifted the sweet spot from uh, not just lifted, but he's actually turned the sweet spot on its head. So it actually comes higher up the face. I suppose I could have brought one in front of the camera and that would have been well prepared, but you didn't I will, prepare me for this. I will put one on the screen. I will, I shall speak uh, now by the power and of magic. And essentially, uh, essentially what, um, you, you know, what, what he's done is when you miss the sweet spot high up the face, you get a very flat dead, um, you know, sort of flight on the golf ball. And generally speaking, you'll lose somewhere between 10 and 20% of the smash factor. And a smash factor we generally rely upon in terms of, you know, how well does a driver perform? If you get the smash factor close to 1.5, uh, then you'll get the relationship between the club head speed and the ball speed. And that gives you that sort of calculation. So the better you strike the ball, the higher it, the number, the more ball speed you get, the more club head speed you've got, um, etc. So, that's really important for a driver but actually it's probably more important for a wedge because a typical wedge shot is going to be running at about 1.2 1.25 and you know you're typically going to be hitting that thing around about the 130 yards maximum but if that comes down by 20 percent that comes right the way down then to a one smash factor. And all of a sudden your club head speed is irrelevant because the golf ball is falling out of the sky. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter about what your club head speed, it is what it is. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's mid eighties, you know, all of a sudden that ball is falling out of the sky and it comes down 20 yards short or 10 yards short. It doesn't matter how many yards short he comes down. If you're playing to a front pin, you're now plugged in a trap. In front, it could be in a water hazard, you could have a shot over a bunker. Now, instead of having a dialed in shot, which was relatively straightforward because the ball was sitting up in the rough, you've came into it a little bit down, a little bit steeper. The ball's half an inch up the club face and the ball's just died, especially slightly into the breeze. So, you know, you have, you've now got yourself no shot, you know, and so instead of going birdie or par recovery, you know, you're now staring bogey, double bogey. And, you know, anything can happen. So, um, interestingly, my first shot was a 20-yard pitch out of the rough. I just threw the ball down in the rough, popped the ball onto the green, rolled out nicely into the hole. Pretty good start. Um, and then I hit a whole bunch of others, just chucking the ball down, just letting it go into this slightly muddy, squelchy, you know, wet... Yeah typically winter green uh, uh, surround, like I say, 20 yard shot. And I was staring down putts of in, well and truly inside six foot. I hit 10 balls. I got six balls, one in the hole and the other six, um, sorry, six balls inside 
uh, of a club length, the others were inside six feet. So that's one of my sort of tests, as you know, and, mm. and, you know, from the lies, which were literally nothing, it didn't really matter because it's one of those things that actually you can sit the ball up in the rough and actually you, the ball club goes straight underneath it. You get this dead flight out of it. What I've noticed around the greens is that it gets a little bit higher on the club. The ball comes out a little bit flatter and it hits the ground and releases. So it will land shorter, but it will release to, towards the hole. So what was happening in the in the dead shots, which, was, you know, I'm kind of trying to hit bad shots as well as trying to hit good shots to see what yeah. happens to it. So, you know, and it then gets to a point where your next batch of balls, you kind of don't care because, you know, you can respond to, you know, you can make notes on what you're experiencing. And, you know, what, what I experienced with the Edison wedges that anywhere on the face up and down, you, you know, you, your strike is going to be yes the flight will change but the effective result if you've got a 20 mile an hour swing you get a 20 mile an hour result rather than you know potentially hitting it like a, a 12 mile an hour because it almost feels like that you know you lose you know sort of half the swing speed it's almost like you've hit hit the golf ball at half the swing speed when you when you miss hit it half an inch you know three quarters of an inch at the club so so that's what I've noticed. What I have also noticed is that between the heel and the toe, the left-right miss, so the common miss that we generally talk about, mm -hmm. um, that that does have the same sort of effects as you know a ping or a Vokey or you know a Callaway. It doesn't matter any other kind of tour-performing wedge. You know, it has a very similar miss effect. So, you know, it gets a little bit dead and comes a little bit, stops very quickly if you miss it half an inch towards the toe. So, what, what I've found with it so far is that the sweet spot's gone vertically up the club face mm. as against horizontally across the club face. Um, I like that because actually, you know, I can find, I can find the sweet spot, you know, in the center of the club. It's a fairly small, compact head. Um, when you put it down, it has a, a nice looking profile it's not you know in your face it's peculiar but it's what happens what he's done behind the club that you know has given it a bit more muscle behind yeah. the club and you know i you know so far incredible and plus that i've also added to it the um slightly incrementally longer shaft as against mm -hmm. um uh what we'd ordinarily see as shorter yeah. in the wedges so uh, not so to clarify my sand iron now is half an inch longer and then I've, there's a half, uh, a, I'll get this right, an eighth of an inch difference between each of the clubs going up to the pitching wedge so that they're all a fraction longer mm -hmm. um, instead of the quarter inch differential that you would have ordinarily. So they're playing a little bit more like one length wedges, yeah. um, which means that they're performing much more consistently. Uh, anyway, you know, and I noticed yesterday I'm hitting fuller shots off the uh, off, off the practice mat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, got a I think it's a true strike yeah, practice true mat strike. at the local range, um, so you can get into that a little bit, and mm -hmm. you can miss it up the face a little bit. You know, I'm trying to hit these shots, trying to hit them bad. You know, uh, to miss the switch and find out what the difference is. Actually, it flights really nicely. So you know, so far. It's in, it's an impressive club. I've played it out of bunkers as well. Uh, I would say that I've got, apart from one, I've got up and down out of every single one. 
they're all inside the club length, which, you yeah. know, as you know, is it's a gimme. So yeah. get it inside the club length, it's a gimme. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, so, so, so far, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually getting out onto the golf course and putting them in there. That's going to mm. be, uh, you know, sort of really interesting um, scenario. So, yeah. I'm Do you think the guys are onto something? Because I know we talk about so much forgiveness with Woods, um, and then even into the irons, but it's it's not really talked about with the wedges, is it? The forgiveness factor of a wedge. No, it's not. I mean, you know, the most forgiving aspect of a wedge we've had in recent years has been the high toe, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. High toe, which arguably, it, you know, I mean, this is the great thing about it. Arguably, goes back to the nineteen eighties with ping guy too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gone full circle. Great wedge. Um, <laughs> oh, weren't they just? I mean, in fact, I've got you know, I've got a. Um, a wedge I've got a, the Gorge um, mm. XG wedge in the bag and you know it's in the bag so it's in the bag it sits in the practice bag it's too upright for me and it's just it needs flattening down by three degrees and it's like mm. oh, they're hard work to change um, so it may well be one of those that just sling it in a box and send it up to Ping and ask them to flatten it for me but um, yeah you know I mean it's the higher toe gives you different playability, you know, gives you that sort of area to miss. Um, of course, putting grooves out on the toe of the club as well helps create a bit of grip. So the ball's not going to react in any peculiar manner coming out there. But that means then that you're playing towards a miss hit and what that does for you. So we do know that produces a flattened flight. It produces, you know, quite high spin. Um we can do again you've got to strike it in a certain way to get it mm. and you know it, it offers a different dimension but it you know wedges notoriously have become more and more player oriented and we're expecting 20 handicap golfers to go out and you know sort of uh, perform with a wedge that's designed mm. for a tour player Exactly. Tour players are going to miss the sweet spot high and low on the club face, period, just because the lie will dictate that you will. Um, angle of attack and lie, we see that all the time. You see, you know, even Matt Fitzpatrick, I think on Saturday, hit, hit a shot, short-sided himself, um, and hit a shot that just just didn't come, he came out dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just miss, miss hit it and just, just didn't come off the club face. Um, I think it's interesting that Vokey haven't gone the route of high toe, so they're probably not going to now because mm. it's been around for a couple of three seasons. And you've got Wilson, um, Callaway and uh, TaylorMade have gone that way. You know, Ping have got their high toe wedge with their I2 offering of their Glide 3 wedges. Um, but the new Mizunos have gone very Edison in terms of CG at the wedge. Yeah, they have. They've raised the CG. So mm-hmm. I think what's happening now is you're starting to see manufacturers, and obviously you go right up to the top end of the spectrum of PXGs, they're starting to put tungsten weights higher up the club, um, partly to, re, you know, to, to increase the height or, you know, uh, um, yeah, I suppose increase the height is that's one of the better of the center of gravity of the club. So, you know, it can target that miss hit or flatten the flight. And if you've got good groove technology and, you know, understanding on how to strike a golf ball, then you're going to get enough spin. So, you know, the, and if you need a flatter flight or sorry, a more elevated flight and you play with more loft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think when, I think this is where we're going to see wedge design change, um, and, you know, I like the PXG model of being able to manoeuvre the weight around using different weighted screws. 
So use a heavy tungsten type screw at the top. And, you know, let's just say you've got 10 screws around the club and, you know, some are going to go low, some are going to go high, some out towards the toe, some a little bit more towards the heel. You know, you can play with that a little bit more. And it's, you know, I think manufacturers need to start to look at that, you know, because that's, you know, that would be the way to go from my point. You know, that you want to hit the golf ball a little bit higher than just drop a load of weight down in the bottom. You know, you create versatility and you create forgiveness. So, yeah, I think um, I think those guys are onto something and, and definitely Edison are going on to it. The, the only downside is price point. You know, wedges are quite usable products, you know, as in you're going to wear them out. You know, you, you play a lot of shots with them and you know you're going to knock those grooves out i know that uh, edison wedges have got a um they're forged heads so they've got terrific feel um unlike the vokies that you see on the shelf you know where they're going to be cast um again feel isn't that you know it, it cast doesn't mean it's hard you know material determines that and how it's cast determines that so pings you know which i've used for years you know, they're also, they do have a forged line, but, you know, at the end of the day, they, you know, and the forged, the forged line is in the 200 pound bracket. The Edisons are in the 200 pound bracket. You know, if you were forging a Wedgeworks putter, uh, sorry, a, a Wedgeworks uh, Vokey, then you're going to be looking at, I would think, 2 250 you, you know, if you were looking for one of those, they're not available, you know, tour players are using them, of course, but um, they're not generally available for the public so they become a little bit more exclusive and then you get into your um your pxgs at 450 mm. you know wedges then start to get really expensive and they are consumable parts of the golf bag mm -hmm. your driver you could get away with using your driver for two or three years there's not a huge amount of advancement the manufacturers won't like me for saying that but you know what are you going to get a yard or two you know there's limits, so there's only so much that they can get out of the club. The ball can only come off the club face at a certain amount of speed. So, you know, you, you're not going to get massive advancements out of that now. Um, more to come next week, we'll Thank share you with you. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I've got a busy week. Coaching diary is nearly full, so I'm going to get to it. So uh, thanks, Gareth, again. Thanks, Andy. Thanks yeah. for listening, everybody. You know where to find us on the social mm -hmm. posts at Andy Gorman Golf. We do appreciate you listening because we can do it without you, but we'd rather not. Mm -hmm. So keep listening. Stay safe, and we'll catch up with you soon. <laughs>